Sebastian Head, I would love to hear about buying a Yamaha F300 V6 versus buying the F250 V6 and tuning it up. Pros and cons for price, performance, warranty, thanks. So when you're talking about doing something like this, like you want to buy a 250 and turn it into a 300, depending on the models, you're going to have to change different things. Most importantly and most commonly is your computer. But there are other things that affect the difference between a smaller horsepower and a larger horsepower outboard, like the amount of air that it can take in and the amount of fuel that it can supply to the engine. So in general, like this three, the 250 to 300, I want to say on that one, pretty much the only difference is going to be the ECU and the ECU is a few thousand dollars. I don't think the difference in price of a 300 and a 250 is that astronomical. It's probably pretty close. So I want to say it's only like a thousand or 2000 more for the F300 than it is for the F250. And the computer is probably somewhere around there, $2,000. So I don't think you're going to have much of an advantage on doing something like that. Um, yeah, it definitely will affect your warranty though. You're going to um, lose your warranty basically. So if you buy an F250, you then go out and buy a 300 PCM, put that on the engine and then use it all the time. Like if you ever have a problem and you need to file a warranty claim, then they're going to pull up the information that's on the computer and it's going to say that it's a 300. Or if you try and do the, you know, the route where you swap the PCM back, you're going to have this engine with all this time and use on it. And then you're going to have a computer for the F250 that has two hours or three hours on it because you're not running the engine with that computer. So you're going to have all kinds of warranty complications. It will void your warranty and you will have a problem there. So I would say that is a big, huge con. Now, whenever you're talking about engines that don't have warranty, then yeah, for the most part, if you just buy the 300 PCM or ECU, since we're talking about Yamahas, it's going to be an ECU, then you're going to be I mean, there is an advantage there. You basically have a 300 just because of the computer and you don't have to change out the injectors or the throttle body or any of that other stuff. I am pretty sure that for like the 4.2 V6, the 250 and the 300 have the same throttle body, meaning that the same diameter hole where it takes air into the engine is the same. Whereas like if you're taking a 200 to a 300, the diameter of that throttle body is going to be way different. It's going to be like, you know, let's say the 200 has an 80 millimeter, um, 80 diameter, 80 millimeter diameter throttle body. And then the 300 has a 120 millimeter diameter throttle body. So that way the 300 can take in more air to supply to the engine for that higher horsepower. It will also have stuff like injector differences. So like on a 200 versus a 300, obviously these numbers are not specific models and it, you know, that's not really what we're talking about. It's just the idea of what you're trying to do. So like the 300 to the 200, the injectors are going to have either more holes or larger holes in them. So that way it could supply more fuel to get the larger horsepower range or the more horsepower out of the engine. Now, performance wise, like if you have um, the same block, the 4.2, 250, and you go out and get the, the F300 horsepower and you don't have warranty on the engine, then you will need to change your propeller to 
you know, if you were using that as a 250 and you bought the 300, put it on there, and now you're just going to run it as a 300, you will most likely have to change the propeller because that added horsepower will probably need a propeller change to prop the boat out properly. But as far as price differences, um, it's just buying the computer. Other brands is going to be a lot different though. Like if you take an L6 Verado, um, those have very expensive PCMs on them. Like you're talking about like a $6,000 computer in some instances. And um, if you go from like a 225 to a 350, those have a lot of different components on them. So like you have a, a water-cooled supercharger, you have larger injectors, um, I'm not 100% on whether the throttle body is different or not. I want to say it is, but I'm not 100% on that. I know like the V6 to the V8, the throttle body is different. It is larger for the V8 than it is for the V6. And again, back to your injectors. A lot of times the injectors have different delineations on them. Like they'll have a different color coating on it, or they will have a different um, like band on it. So that way you can see what this different, you know, injector is. And a lot of it goes back to how big the holes are that are on the injector in order for it to feed more fuel to the engine to get that higher horsepower. But otherwise, you're going to have different things like that between different models whenever you try to advance horsepower like that. And yeah, you get more performance out of it. If it's the same block, then you're not going to, you know, have any kind of ill adverse effect because like, you know, an L6 Verado has the same block for the 225 as it does for the 350-400. So as far as like the wear and tear on the engine, not much of a difference. It's just the components that are on the engine that makes it produce that higher horsepower. Mehdi Luce, or I'm not sure how you say your name. Hi, I'm Mehdi from Tunisia. I appreciate a lot of your videos and I'm following you. Thank you. I learned a lot. I need your advice about upgrading my Optimax 90 horsepower 2004 to a 115 by replacing the ECU and eliminating the intake restrictor. I ordered a 2003 ECU 115 Optimax, so same generation. Is that safe? I heard many persons doing that. What are the risks? Could I blow my outboard? What can you advise me? Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it's the same concept. On that one, going from a 90 to a 115, you're not changing a lot as far as horsepower, so the injectors are probably going to be the same, the throttle body is going to be the same, and just changing out that computer is going to give you that horsepower. It's just the tuning that it has there. Yeah, for the Optimax, the 90 to the 115, I do not think there's any difference in the external components on the engine, so you put the computer on there, you're going to have that horsepower coming out of that engine. You might not have to do anything with the prop because you're only adding 25 horsepower. But then again, you know, all boats are different. So the different loading of the engine and, and how big your boat is, what you're transporting, what you're trying to do, what's your speed, what's your RPM range, all those things are going to have to be addressed. And most of the time, whenever you change the computer, you do have to change the propellers in order to get that performance that you're trying to get with that added horsepower. James Richards, what is your opinion on of aftermarket tuning ECU flashes like Nispro, Yamaha? I have an F-115 and would like it a little bit better would like a little better performance, but do not want to sacrifice reliability. So that F-115 platform is a super reliable and bulletproof engine. Um, I'm not really sure what you guys are trying to get performance-wise out of these engines when you're talking about um, 
115s and 90 horsepower. So if you do a NISPRO flash on the computer for that F-115, I don't think that you have to change anything. I don't think there's a, any kind of intake change or injector change or anything like that that has to happen. It's just basically tuning. You might get, I don't know what, I don't know what exactly that tune does. Maybe you get like 140 or 150 out of the engine, something uh, not 100%. I'm not really familiar with all the different tunings that they have. But as far as reliability is concerned, I don't really think you're going to lose any reliability because of how reliable that block and platform already is. Even when you are changing the tuning to squeeze a little bit more horsepower out of the engine, you might have to change your prop based on what you're trying to do. But I don't think you're going to sacrifice reliability. I don't think you're going to um, you know, lose performance. You're definitely going to gain performance, but downside is you probably will have to buy a propeller in order to get that performance out of the application that you're trying to go with. You know, if you're doing this kind of stuff on like larger horsepower, like you're trying to take a 300 and make it like a 425, then, you know, okay, yeah, you are going to be sacrificing reliability because you're trying to take smaller engines and have them do a lot bigger things than, you know, they were built for. So you're taking a small engine and trying to make it do a big engine thing. If you're adding supercharges and changing intakes and changing out the injectors and then ramping up the tuning and the mapping of the PCM, um, all of those things, changing the prop, all those things are going to put more stress, more strain on the outboard. A lot of times you're raising the RPM and you're, you're putting more load on the engine being in the sense of with this extra power, you're going to put more strain and more stress on the lower unit. And then with more speed out of the um, boat, are you now running it harder? You're running, you know, you're coming out of the water. You're probably unloading and loading the propeller because you've got that extra speed. And now, you know, you're, you're pushing the boat out of the water, depending on the chop, depending on how you're running the engine or running your boat, um, that's where you're going to start losing reliability and, you know, you're just maximizing performance when you start adding all that extra stuff. But if all you do is change the computer and change the tuning a little bit where you're just messing with timing, you're not changing, you know, you're not supercharging it, you're not changing out all these other components, you're just changing the mapping of the computer you're not putting that much more stress on the outboard in order to make it unreliable or, um, you know, shorten the lifespan of the engine. So I guess it's just be thinking about that and what you're trying to do. Taking a 90 to a 115, taking a, you know, 75 to a 90, taking a um, 115 to a 140, or taking a 250 to a 300, those are like smaller changes. You're only changing... 20, 30, 40, 50 horsepower. It's whenever you try and change all this other stuff and really squeeze every bit of performance that you can out of the engine that you lose the reliability and you, you know, shorten the lifespan of that engine. It's the same thing of like, you don't buy a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or a Bugatti or any of these half a million, million dollar sports car and think that they're reliable. They're not built to be reliable. They're not built for you to get on the interstate and run back and forth between your job and use it as a daily commuter. It's built as a performance vehicle, whereas like a Toyota Corolla is built for you to put 500,000 miles on that car and 
just be able to run it all the time. It's two different things. If you want to, if you want performance and you want, you know, speed and you want all this stuff, you want the supercar, then you, you're not going to get reliability and you're not going to get, um, fuel economy and performance in that aspect. You're getting what you're getting. You're getting a high performance super vehicle. Same thing relates to boats, outboards, and what you are trying to get out of them. You know, you're not taking a boat that's doing 125 miles an hour on the water and using that as your sandbar boat. I mean, that's not what the boat is built for. It's built for speed. Same thing for a lot of these racing engines. I mean, you take a racing engine that's producing a thousand horsepower and you're trying to use that as your daily driver. It's you're taking performance that's meant for like super performance and trying to make it a daily driver. It's the, it's the same concept. Um, sealants. So I'm not sure who this one came from. So sealants, fill the cap with grease, squeeze a small bit out to get rid of any that touch the air, then immediately put the grease-filled cap on. It will last a very, very long time. That's a really helpful tip. Thank you. Um, so yeah, take your silicone or your 5200, 4200, or any kind of sealant and squeeze out the little last the top of it, anything that's, you know, touch the air after you use it, wipe that off and then fill your cap full of grease, put that on. And I guess that will make it last a long time. That's a really, really good tip. Thank you for that. Charles Gleason, you are the best. Well, thank you. Do you want to move to Destin? Um, I actually lived and worked in Destin for a little while, but I just put a 2023 Yamaha F200 inline four on my Skeeter V622V bay boat, and the dealer put an aluminum 14.5 by 17 prop on it. He felt that the prop will give me the best hole shot and overall good speed with RPM at 6,000 or less. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, it's hard to say. Obviously, I'm guessing you put the aluminum prop on there because you're doing a lot of... Um, you're, you're running around in the bay up there, Crab Island, all those other places up in the little rivers. So you want the aluminum prop because you run the risk of hitting ground. As far as a 14 and a half by 17, my guess is that's the right prop. Stainless steel um, is going to give you more performance. But at the same time, on a bay boat where you're running in skinny water and you are probably going to be running into sand and other things, the stainless steel is not going to give. So if you do hit a rock or something... It could destroy the lower unit, whereas like if you're going offshore and you don't risk hitting stuff, that's more of what a stainless steel prop is going to be used for. So the aluminum's right. If you're getting 6,000 RPM um, for that 200, that's I think the range, five to 6,000 RPM. So you're in the right RPM range. It sounds like it's the right prop. I don't think you should have any problem out of there. Shannon Cash, prop pitch comes into play as well. Same thing. We're talking about the prop pitch and the boat. Um, yeah, the prop pitch is going to alter everything. Going back to talking about increasing the horsepower, you have to change the propeller because you, the load on the engine, the whole thing with the prop pitch is to make sure that an engine, the outboard is running in a specific RPM range. So they build these engines to run at you know higher RPM and let's say it's five to six thousand, they want that RPM to be up there. If you put a big prop on one of these outboards and you only ever get say forty nine hundred RPM when you're trying to get six thousand, that is an extra load on the engine. That's basically what it's called. It's called loading the engine, and and it's 
it's not good for the engine. It's putting strain, stress, um, wear on the engine, and you can cause premature failure. You can have carbon problems. You can have all kinds of issues if you don't get the right prop on there and you are overloading the powerhead. So pitch is important. Mike, 1694, it's a Hatsu with 2,500 hours, two-stroke, full throttle all the time, run them hard and often. Last motor was a Mercury, which was made by Tahatsu, two-stroke, didn't have an hour meter, but I ran it almost daily for seven years. Wide open as well. Commercial fishing. Father was an outboard tech for 40 years. He said not running the motors hard is worse than running them slow and infrequently. He said the majority of longevity issues come from improper warm-up before going full throttle and poor maintenance. These motors are designed for hard use. Use them that way. I agree with you, Mike. Um, yeah, they're, they're built to be in that upper RPM range. Running them full throttle, you're not going to destroy the engine once you get up to getting 2500 3000 4000 hours out of an outboard honestly what exactly are you trying to get out of these outboards i i understand people are talking about making an outboard last 40 years but at the same time how realistic is that so i think that anytime that you can get that many hours out of an outboard that's it. that's all you really want i mean how much, what do you exactly want out of an outboard? Do you want it to last 10,000 hours and longer than you do? Um, they don't make things like that anymore. This ain't 1960 and it's just like the iPhones and the phones that you get, your computers, your laptops, all the stuff that we have now is all built to last short amount of time. Like that's why they make a new iPhone. It comes out every year. They want us to buy stuff and consume stuff. They don't make stuff like they used to. You know, you buy a refrigerator and it lasts 20 years. Now you buy a refrigerator and it lasts two years. So that's kind of the downfall of the future and what we are given as consumers. Mark Martin, 2020 33T Stamus with 350 Zooks or 2020 Sailfish 360 with 300 Yamaha. Sailfish is 100,000 more. Um, that's a big gap. Like if you're talking about which boat I think is better, those are two different boats and they're meant for two different things. So yeah, you're going to have a hundred thousand dollars more. I think that if you're looking to buy a boat and talking about stuff like this, you should kind of get a, a tighter budget and what exactly you want out of, um, out of the boat because the 33 Stamus with the 350 Suzuki's is going to be like a, a Stamus is like a stripped down more geared towards fishing type of boat. Um, yeah, you've only got twins on the 33, whereas the sailfish are going to have trips. And the sailfish is going to be more of like a upper class, bougie type of fishing. Like you can do fishing also. I mean, you're going to have a, a seat up in the front. You're going to have like a bed thing on the on the console. You got tables and seating in the bow. You've got rear facing seating on the back of the leaning post. You got forward seats. You got a good console with a nice bed. Um, you've got seats in the back of that boat. So yeah, the the sailfish is going to be more for like you know running around, family oriented, entertaining, putting a lot of people on the boat. It will also be good for fishing, but it's it's not like the 33 Stamus. The Stamus is going to be more stripped down, not as much seat, more room in the back for fishing, and more geared towards fishing. There's probably a couple live wells on the Stamus, whereas the Sailfish, I don't know how many. It might have two live wells, but it might only have one in the back. So I would say that the 360 Sailfish is more built for 
comfortability and entertaining than it is whereas the stainless is going to be more towards straight up fishing like you know that's just a straight up center console fishing boat so for a hundred thousand dollars what exactly is it that you like to do on the boat i mean are you just wanting to go fishing because if you're just wanting to go fishing then the stainless is probably going to be more in your wheelhouse and you're going to save yourself a hundred grand are you trying to be more for cruising and adventuring and entertaining a lot more people. If you're trying to put that much more people on your boat, then the sailfish is going to be more geared towards you. If you got a big family um, and you're not as inclined to only use the boat for fishing, but you're going to spend a hundred grand more. So kind of figuring out what you want to do with the boat and how you want to use the boat is probably going to be what you need to figure out first. Cause those are two totally different boats. And, um, I think they're both good boats. I would, I'd be happy with either one of those. The, the Spadre, I think the Yamaha Toyota H2 engine is more directed at the industry and possibly the government trying to push the F effort to make H2 fuel more available across the country. Right now, Southern California is the only place that has a network of H2 stations. Toyota has deep pockets and it, and if it can get hydrogen fuel more available, they are the dominant player in hydrogen fuel cell vehicles and hydrogen combustion vehicles. I mean, that is, that is a crazy topic altogether. I do. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, it is going to be a prototype engine for the Yamaha and there are lots of complications with H2. So like what they're talking about doing is taking like, they're going to have this prototype of a V8 5.6 liter, you know, 425 combustion engine that they're going to try and make run on hydrogen, which is different than like a lot of the hydrogen cars. So the big problem with trying to take a combustion engine and make it run on hydrogen is that it requires a lot more hydrogen than it does fuel. And the way you could either have a liquid or a gas and the amount of liquid and the amount of gas and how it's stored and how it's, you know, transported, how long it lasts. Does it evaporate or leak out? Like, you know, if it, it has different compression ratios to it, it has to be cooled. Like there's a lot of different things that make it a, I don't know if you'd call it a stable fuel supply. Whereas most of the cars now, the ones that are like performance and that are actually usable, I want to say that Toyota has like zero to 60 in like nine seconds or something. So, you know, there's other performance aspects that might be a problem with this whole theory. But when they take hydrogen and use it as like a fuel cell, that's different. So now that makes it totally different and more usable and you get the power out of it. But that doesn't really, you know, that's not converting a combustion engine to run on hydrogen. And um, that's more like basically the same thing that you have with the electric outboards. You're taking an electric motor and running, you know, the gear case and the midsection, all the other stuff that make an outboard to convert the power to your propeller. The same thing for a fuel cell. So if they're taking a fuel cell and a motor to run the lower unit, that might have some potential there, but that's, you know, a completely changing and redeveloping the engine all in of itself because it's using a fuel cell. It's not necessarily using a combustion engine, which was the big problem with the, um, I think it was a Toyota V8 350 horsepower combustion engine is the way that 
it works. And I'm not an expert on hydrogen. Like, you know, this is just what, what I know based on what I've seen and videos and articles and stuff like that. Like, I don't have any experience of creating hydrogen and then tearing it, you know, putting it into a motor and, and making it work. This is just what I can see. Kind of the things that I have noticed and what I think some of the complications are. It would be great as an alternative. So will it ever become something I don't know. Same thing, same problem with the cars. You've only got California and like two or three other places where you can get H2 fuel in the United States. So there's only really one place to get the fuel and it's way more expensive. It's like 15, 16, $17 and it's weighed. It's not like a liquid. So it's not like a gallon of gas. It's like a, you know, kilogram. It's a weight of hydrogen. So a lot of differences there. Now try and convert that to a boat and being able to, where are you going to fill up? Like, where are you going to fill this? Where are you going to fill your boat up to get hydrogen? It's, there's, there's a lot that goes into this whole topic. It is interesting. I'd love to see the tech and see it, you know, go somewhere, but it won't be any time in the near future. Chris, I have a Mercury 1988 135-horsepower outboard and a piece fine at idle and up to half throttle. But as soon as I go to three-quarter throttle, it stops peeing. Any help would help. Chris, thanks, Chris. 1988 135-horsepower 135 outboard. So we're talking about a 35, almost 36-year-old outboard. That's pretty intense. But... If you're losing cooling water or, you know, your telltale is losing stream at wide open, things are going to affect that are going to be like the impeller. So if your impeller's weak, if the water tube going up to the power head, if there's like a gasket, an O-ring, or a problem with the water tube where you're losing water flow, and that's why it's stopped peeing, because if it's peeing mid-throttle and idle, that means that you've got enough pressure in the impeller and enough volume of water to fill the power head and then go out the telltale. Now, at wide open, so let's say if you've got a thermostat issue, um, a poppet valve issue, or your you know water tube cooling something where you've got a leak where it's losing that water or that pressure, or the impeller's weak. Those are kind of the four things that I can think of that is going to affect that to where it'll pee normal all the way up to half throttle, and then a wide open, you lose the stream altogether. It's either pushing everything out the pop valve, it's pushing it out through the, you know, the exhaust dump, being the pop valve or the thermostat, something like that. Um, thermostat's going to be less likely than it is a pop valve or just a straight-up weak impeller. I'd be trying to change that impeller first, just to make sure that, you know, that's not the problem. I would say most likely it's an impeller, but that's just uh, a guess looking from the outside in. Glenn Sims, the switch to lithium batteries probably evens out the weight difference, plus allegedly having to carry less fuel. The biggest issue I'm seeing on older boats is that they weren't built sturdy enough in the bow to handle the extra weight of today's trolling motors because those suckers are heavy now. So this is talking about, you know, different things like trolling motors, the power of a trolling motor, brushless versus brushed. Um, and then also kind of on the same topic, the alteration of a boat being, you know, adding a bracket, adding weight to the engine, going from a two stroke to a four stroke. Yeah. The bows on the boats are 
and they're old. So it's taking an older boat, like a 20, 25, 30 year old boat. Everything is, you know, got some wear and tear on it. It's not as strong as it was when it was brand new. Some things are wood cord, the wood's starting to rot, other things like that. But now you put a trolling motor up on the front of the bow and especially with the brushless and the constant power that you get from lithium, you talk about taking an 80 pound or 120 pound thrust trolling motor. That's a lot of torque, a lot of stress on the bow. And yeah, you could probably rip some of these older boats. You could probably lose the trolling motor or at, you know, the word that's the worst case scenario, but most of the time you're just going to get stress cracks and stuff like that. You definitely need to have a backing plate on the bottom of the bow and, um, you know, depending on the situation, every boat's going to be different, how bad it is. The weight of the trolling motor is definitely, you know, something going on there, but also that thrust that I was just talking about. So if you even take, I mean, it's been my experience that you can take just a, just a piece of starboard and spread the load out because the, if you just use washers on the bottom and the glass is, or the, the, the bow is starting to rot or the glass is delaminating or getting soft. If you don't use big enough washers, it's going to pull them through. So if you take a piece of starboard, it's not going to be able to pull the washer through the starboard and the starboard will disperse that um, load across a larger amount of space in the bow. So the worst thing you're going to do is see some stress cracks, but you're not going to lose your trolling motor and it's going to work properly. Um, if you put an aluminum plate in there, obviously that's better, but more expensive, harder to customize, um, and takes more effort to mess with. So unless it's really bad, I think you could probably get away with just adding starboard as a backing plate and still using fender washers on the bottom of the through bolts, putting mounting the trolling motor onto the bow of the boat. That's going to be a good topic. M76, I know marine engines have additional components that... Vehicle engines do not, but a crate for 6.4 liter Hemi producing 485 horsepower is only $15,000, give or take. An outboard with the same horsepower ratings is three times more minimum. It is ridiculous, to be honest. Um, I'm with you, man. I mean, this is talking about new outboards being a rich man's game, and it is. I mean, if you're buying a new outboard and you want 485 horsepower, yeah, you're going to spend way more than that actually because the only per, the only company producing that big of an engine is Mercury and they're 600 you're going to be about 90 to 100 grand in that engine so 15,000 you're almost eight times more you're seven you're seven times more so that's a big gap for what you're getting obviously there's a lot more to it with the steering systems and the lower units and the midsections and all that but just looking at the difference between a powerhead and the 485 horsepower Hemi powerhead, um, it's a big price difference. Big, big price difference. Captain Pepin, in early 2019, a pair of Suzuki 300s installed with rigging and props was $36,000. Now it's north of 50 grand. Um, yeah, I mean, in just five years, look at how much the prices have gone up. I mean, you're talking massive inflation over here in the u.s so not much you can do about that um that's a whole economic political topic talking about gdp and inflation and interest rates and the whole gamut of covid and unemployment how many old jobs versus new jobs i mean that's a whole different discussion but things have 
gotten to be ridiculous. Again, talking about this topic of how much stuff costs. Yeah, it's everything has gone up. Everything is super expensive. Not much we can do about it. Steve Myers, 2092, the aviation community is now putting Yamaha snowmobile engines in experimental aircraft. Very reliable and tons of power for weight, two, three, and four-cylinder models. I mean, I don't know that much about Yamaha snowmobiles, but anything that I, when you think, okay, if you have one word to think about whenever you say Yamaha, everybody's going to say reliable and I have no reason to believe that their snowmobiles are any less reliable than the outboards. So that's super interesting. I never didn't think about it. Couldn't think about it. That's uh, appreciate you telling us that FJ Merrig. I was once told that a battery needs to be mounted vertically with the transom so that the plates in the battery do not hit each other and short out. Is this still true? So when you say vertically, so vertically is up and down, horizontally is like this. Now the plate, if you take a battery, like, you know, you've got a battery right here. There are plates that go up and down through different sections inside the battery. So you take this battery and you've got plates in it. So right here's a plate, right here's a plate, right here's a plate, right here's a plate. And they're all split and they're, they're physically separated and compact. Obviously, this is a lithium battery, so that doesn't weigh true with this battery. But if this was a normal battery, that's how it's set up. So your plates are like this. They're not like this. So if you take that normal battery, and let's say that this is the transom. If you've got it like this, your plates are like that. If you got it parallel with the transom, your plates are like this. So you think about it, the boat going through the water like this, it's going to be constantly hitting waves like that. So the battery like this, the plates don't really risk touching each other or like, you know, they, they're physically separated. So, you know, they don't really like touch each other. And the way a Marine battery is built is everything's beefed up for it to be able to take that thrust. So having it like this, yeah, their plates do have a risk of, of hitting each other. Now, as far as whether or not the battery is going to short out based on those plates inside of it. Um, I mean, the way a marine battery is built, because it's beefed up and it's stronger, the the risk of that, it's going to take a lot of time for the battery to wear out physically inside for the plates to touch. And it's going to take a lot of abuse. So by the time that that happens to where they could possibly short out within the battery, I would say you got a defective battery if that happens in today's you know world they're meant to take that abuse and the battery's going to die because it's going to run out of cycle life before that physically happens within the battery so is that still true i mean i guess theoretically yes that could happen but i would say if that happens that battery was defective before that happened or somehow you've got a 10 15 year old battery that is now just depleted and worn itself out on the inside enough to where everything is now like all connected because everything has to stay separated inside the battery or else the battery's not going to work because it you know it, it uses a chemical reaction by separating these components in order to produce and store the power like i said i guess theoretically yeah that could happen but highly unlikely we'll do one more so oliver david's 
Oliver David Patrick, yeah, smack it with a hammer and crack the anti-ventilation plate. Great job. I use wedges made from hardwood and plastic and a rubber mallet. This is on a video talking about trying to get a stuck lower unit off of an engine. And um, in this one, yeah, we took a, a straight-up claw hammer and just beat this lower unit off of the outboard. But, I mean, I guess I forgot to say in the video that the lower unit was blown up and stuck on there. And they had a problem with it, so they ran it until it blew up. And then now we were just trying to get off. So, yeah, I was just smacking it with a hammer, smash it to get it off the engine so we can put the new lower unit on there and put it back up. Whenever you're using the wedges and the rubber mount and all that stuff, that's to save the lower unit and not mess up the midsection and the drive shaft housing of the outboard. So that's what you want to do if you, if you have to save it. But that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And since it didn't matter, the lower unit was blown up, it was like, okay, spend an hour trying to wedge this lower unit off or just destroy it in five minutes and get it off there, put the new lower unit on there and get it done so that way you could have the boat back. So that's all that was going on with that one. If you want to talk about something, let us know in the comment section below. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the channel, like the video, check us out at bornagainboating.com where we got a boaters program, and then we will see you next week.